Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, we're going to get right into it. We've got uh, two more Sundays in the book of Galatians, and so we've got a lot to cover today. And we've been talking the theme through about not giving away your freedom. So we're going to start in verse 1, chapter 5. And as we walk through these verses, we're going to learn that we are set free, but we're also going to learn about what takes away that freedom or what hampers that freedom. So let's, let's begin. Number one, standing firm in your freedom. What does that mean? How do you do that? How do you stand firm on Christ setting you free? What does that even look like? And what does that even mean? In Galatians one, it says, or chapter five, verse one. So Christ has truly set us free. There's, there's a lot of false freedoms that the world can give you. There's some temporary freedoms that you can get, but only Christ can permanently and truly set you free. He says, now make sure that you stay free and don't tie up, get tied up again in the slavery to the law. So he's telling me here, my freedom comes from Christ. I, I don't deserve it. I cannot earn it. I simply accept it. I accept that freedom that Christ has given me. But once I become a Christian, then I have a responsibility. And part of that responsibility is staying free, not staying saved. We're talking about two different things. Because you see, when you pray to receive Christ, God himself personally guarantees your salvation by putting the Holy Spirit in you and that's your seal and the only thing that can take away your salvation is if somebody's greater or stronger than God himself and that person praise God does not exist and so he's not talking about you making sure you don't lose your salvation but rather he's talking about the freedom that you now have as a believer. Now, some people misinterpret what that freedom is, and we're going to get into that. So let's, let's just continue on. Second thing is, and this is a good question. People usually ask this at some point, and they usually ask it concerning themselves. Um, you can become a believer, and then maybe you get off track, and, and you're just living contrary to what the Scripture teaches, and you begin to wonder, have I lost my salvation. So the question is, can I lose God's grace? The Bible, you know, you, you could save yourself by being perfect. Now you've already lost at that game, right? I know I have. In, in fact, David said in Psalms, he said, I, I was born a sinner. So there's no way I can come up with perfect righteousness with holy God on my own. And so Paul is saying, hey, if you're counting on cir circumcision to make you right with God, then why do you even need Jesus? <clears throat> I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. Hey, if, if you've decided, all right, if I'm circumcised, then that'll be part of my salvation. Paul says, you can't stop there. You have to obey every single law. And we know that's impossible. 
God's standard is perfect righteousness. And that's why you and I need Jesus. Verse 4. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Now we're really getting into it. Can I lose God's grace? Can I lose my salvation? And uh, so let's make this clear. The King James Version, I, I like the way the King James Version actually says this. It says, Christ is become of no effect unto you. If I'm trying to save myself through rituals and regulations and rules, basically Paul is saying you have moved yourself out from under the grace of salvation and you're trying to earn your salvation and that's not going to work for you. So he's, he's not talking about if you become a believer and then you start getting a little sideways on your, on your theology, he's not, he's not talking about you losing your salvation. It's, it's like this. <clears throat> Somebody becomes a believer and they're genuine about it and they've truly accepted Christ. And then say they join a church and that church, there's some churches like this, and they say, well, yes, you need to, you need to have Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you also have to be baptized by water baptism in order to be saved. Now, now we believe in baptism. We're going to do it next Sunday at the lake. But that's not, that does not save you. That simply represents your salvation. But there's some churches that will say, yeah, you've got to be baptized to be saved. And they'll even add other things to it. You've got to do this and you've got to keep this and and you're not really saved unless this is happening. And and they're adding to, they're saying salvation is Jesus plus all these other things. And Paul is saying that's not genuine salvation. They're basically saying you've got to earn it. You know, some some denominations or some uh, church groups or even cults, when they knock on your door to tell you about their version of Jesus, they're not there trying to save you. They're there to try to save themselves. You see, when they knock on the door, they're earning their salvation in their mind. That's what their theology is teaching them. So if you slam the door in their face, they're okay with that. They just think they've earned a little bit more of their salvation. So you cannot do that. It just does not work. And so don't let anybody add to salvation. Verse 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. So true believers live by faith, not works. And I I like this phrase, eagerly wait. That's used seven times in the New Testament. And every time it's talking about the second coming of Christ. So Paul is basically saying, hey, we live by the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, and we're motivated, we're encouraged, we're eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus. So that's part of their motivation. They're saying, hey, Jesus is coming back, and so we know time is limited, and we want to do the things that truly matter. I mean, if you keep 
the return of Christ in the forefront of your mind, and you're saying, you know, Jesus is going to come back. He might come back in my lifetime. He might come back this week. He might come back, you know, years, you know, long after I'm already gone to heaven, but he is coming back. That could change your motivation. That could say, hey, so I want to be doing the things that truly matter. I want to do the things that make a difference. I think that's what Paul is saying. I'm I'm motivated by the fact that Jesus is coming back. And therefore, I want to tell as many people as I can about Christ. Because I want as many people as possible to go to heaven with me. Verse 6. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. So saving faith proves that it is genuine by the working of love in your life. So when I pray to receive Christ then there's some things that should be evident in my life. One, there should be a deep reverence in worship, that I'm worshiping the one that gave me my salvation. I've, I'm going to have a deep appreciation and reverence for, for the one who saved me. That genuine obedience, I genuinely want to do what the scriptures tell me to do. That I don't want to do it because I have to, I want to do it because I want to, that I, I'm so appreciative of holy God and he's giving me these guidelines that are best for me. And so I genuinely want to follow them because it's what's best for me. And then the third, the really apparent one is that there's a self-sacrificing love for other people. If, if I'm a genuine believer, it's going to reveal itself in my genuine love for other people. You know, if I spend all my time just loving me and only think about me and what makes me happy, that's a red flag. That's a red flag about who, who are you really serving? Do, do you really even have, do you even have Jesus in your life? Because you're making it all about you, but if I genuinely have Christ in my life, then one of the results of that is going to be I want to love people well. I want to serve people because I want as many people to know about the truth of Jesus like I know it. Number three, the cross is enough. It is enough. Verse seven, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back? from following the truth. Paul uses, compares the life of faith to running a race quite frequently. And, uh, and, and he's basically saying, hey, you started off that race so well, but along the way you started picking up some heavy backpacks of rules and regulations and you're picking up some bad theology and it's so weighing you down that you finally just drop out of the race. Have you ever seen somebody, they become a believer and they're all excited, energetic, they're all involved, they're coming to church all the time, and then you don't see them anymore? I think a lot of times it's because of this. 
They start getting this idea that they've got to keep this rule, they've got to keep that regulation. They, they, they listen to some people who are actually false teachers and they start imposing some stuff on themselves that God never intended. And the backpack of weight of rules and regulations becomes so heavy, they're just wore out and they drop out. Now, I'm wearing a special shirt today and I'm wearing it on purpose. Um, when I, I took the 12th grade guys that graduated from high school this year, we went to the Outer Banks and went deep sea fishing. Um, uh, Jim Mercer in our church is in my life group. Uh, uh, he has a uh, fishing boat and he graciously took the guys out fishing. And this is the name of his boat. And so he, um, he gave me this shirt, but he gave each of the guys a t-shirt with the name on it. And, uh, and this is a Greek word, uh, to tell a last day. To telestai, to telestai. And uh, it's one of the last words that Jesus said on the cross. It's when Jesus said, it is finished. And, and literally the word means the work is complete. So Jesus wasn't say, saying, I am finished. He was saying, it is finished. The work is finished. It's complete. Everything that has to happen has happened. It's done. And Jim named his boat after this, and he used it as a witnessing tool because people are going to come up and say, hey, what is, what is the name of your boat? What, what does that mean? And it's an opportunity for him to tell them about what Jesus said and what it means. It's a great witnessing tool. Jesus and the cross is enough. Nothing else. It takes nothing else to bring salvation into your life. Jesus did it all. Verse eight, it certainly isn't God for he is the one who called you to freedom. So God's not the one that's putting these heavy backpacks on you. He's the one that called you to be set free. He said, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. You know, false teaching can be so devastating. You take a little bit of yeast and you put it in a, in, in a batch of dough and it doesn't take long for that yeast to work its way all the way through. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons why we're so cautious about anybody that would start teaching false teachings in, in our life groups. We take it very serious because you start teaching something that's contrary to scripture, people latch on to it, and before you know it, it impacts their life. So just because somebody sounded good when they said what they said doesn't mean it's right. Everything needs to be tested by Scripture. In fact, when you pray to receive Christ, you, brought, you have the Holy Spirit put inside of you. The Holy Spirit, you, you need to pay attention to Him. When you hear false teaching. The Holy Spirit will give you a check in your heart. And I mean, something is saying to you, hey, what you just heard is not right. And, and you need to pay attention to that at least enough to go and ask a trusted person if what you heard was true or not. You need to pay attention to that. Verse 10, I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever it is, who has been confusing you. Now, I want to tell you about that judgment. 
That's some serious judgment that's going to come upon that person. You, you, talk, you, you teach false teaching and you cause somebody to lose the way in their salvation. You, obviously, you can't take away their salvation, but you can cause them to lose the joy of their salvation. And if that person's not saved yet, you could keep them from salvation. I'm going to tell you, God's, God's got a serious judgment on that person. I mean, he, he says, look, you, you cause one of my children to stumble. You'd be better off with a huge old rock tied around your neck and thrown in the deepest part of the ocean. You'd be better off. Uh, that doesn't sound too good, does it? God takes it very, very serious. That, that's why the Bible says, don't many of you want to be teachers? Because there's a stricter judgment. So you're, our life group leaders, I appreciate them so much. And, uh, but it's a, it's a tremendous responsibility to be in the position of teaching other people about God's word. Verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, which by the way, he never taught that except before he became a believer, as a Jewish person, he taught that. But after he became a believer, he didn't teach that anymore. He says, why am I still being persecuted? If, if I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. You see, that's really what offends people. The idea that you can't save yourself, that you need something other than yourself to find peace in life. Salvation is only through Christ. So people, I mean, that's offensive to people. The Bible says so. The cross is offensive to people. The fact that someone else had to do what had to be done in order for our forgiveness. Then Paul says something pretty strong, verse 12. I just wish those troublemakers, the ones who taught that you had to be circumcised to be saved. I wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Now, the Greek word that he used there is actually the word for castration. So you young kids, ask your parents what that means when you get home. <laughs> I, I mean, this is, uh, he was basically saying, hey, you, you Judaizers, if uh, you're going to teach that circumcision is required for salvation, why don't you go all in? I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right. You know, and this was kind of a slap in the face because back in those days, there were uh, certain cults, ancient cults then, that the priests would actually castrate themselves in order to qualify to be priests in those cults. That certainly keeps the number of priests down. Number four, there is a constant battle between your flesh and your spirit. Constant. Verse 13, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So when I pray to receive Christ, I was set free, and I don't have to live by rules and regulations, 
But he's saying, now, don't misunderstand what this freedom is. It doesn't mean you can go and do whatever you want. And you still have your sin nature. And that sin nature is always battling for control in your life. But you have your spirit nature now. And they're always going to battle with each other. And it's kind of like the two dogs. Whichever dog gets fed the most is going to become the stronger dog. So if you feed your spirit with truth and prayer and scripture, it's going to be the stronger one. But if you neglect your spirit, the sin nature becomes stronger. And some people, they, they even teach this. Hey, you're a Christian. You can do whatever you want because you cannot lose your salvation. So go enjoy yourself. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. That's not the way it works. In fact, he says in verse 14, the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're truly a believer, it's going to show up by the way you love other people. You love them enough that you don't want to see them separated from God's grace and God's love. I've got uh, uh, a couple of friends and I love their heart. And they'll call me periodically and they'll just say, hey, I'm talking to this person. And, uh, and here's his background. What's the best way to witness to them? What's the best way to witness to somebody who has this background? Man, I love that. Man, uh, you know, those are great phone calls to get. Those are great conversations to have. There's somebody, I so love my friend that I want him to know Jesus, but I want him to know the most effective way that I can talk to him. That's true love. That's genuine salvation. That's a result of being free in Christ. Verse 15, but if you're always biting and devouring, it's, it's kind of like an imagery of uh, wild animals that go after each other. If you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. You're always criticized. Uh, do you have an, a spirit about you that's always finding fault in somebody else? I want to tell you, that's your sin nature. That's, your not, that's not your spirit nature. If you're always finding fault in other people and you're always gossiping about other people, that's your sin nature. That's not your spirit nature. Verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives not your sin nature, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature not only wants to do, but actually craves. You won't be doing what your sin nature craves. So if I want to avoid the things that my sin nature naturally craves, the answer is letting the Holy Spirit direct my life. That means I'm talking to him. I'm listening to his words, which are scripture. All believers have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's a personal power for living to please God. The only way I can truly please God is by letting the Holy Spirit guide and direct my life. Because that's living a life of faith. And this, uh, this form of the Greek word, the Greek verb here uh, about walking in the spirit 
It, it means a continuous action. It's not something you do once. It's something you do constantly. And walking implies that there's a destination. So he's saying you, you walk in the spirit, so it's a continual action, but it's, there's a destination to it. Being in heaven, being Christ-like. So I'm walking in the spirit continuously to become more and more like Jesus so that I'm ready, uh, you know, I'm going to heaven because I'm saved, but I want to be ready for heaven. I want to be more Christ-like when I step into heaven. So this flesh that we battle with, our sinful nature, is not just the physical body, but it's also the mind, it's the, the will, and the emotions. You, you know, you might sit there and feel good about yourself because you're not out doing some physical sin stuff. But what about your mind? What's happening up there? What about your emotions? You find yourself just getting extremely angry with people. You find that happening? Well, see, that's, that's a sin in your emotions. Verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil. I mean, it loves it. Which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So the Holy Spirit is placing you godly desires. The sin nature that is in you is giving you sinful desires. So you have both of these desires hitting you at the same time. You get to decide which one you're going to pay attention to. You have total control over that. The Bible says before you were a Christian, you didn't have a choice about your sin nature and the choices you, about the sins you were committing. But, to, but as a believer, you have a choice. You can say no. The sinful nature wants to do, do evil. The Spirit wants to do just the opposite. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. Now, verse 19 is really getting down to it. He says, when you, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are obvious, very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger. Wow, this is, outburst of anger is in the same list with sexual immorality? Yep. Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. So this is not an exhaustive list. Let me say again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. So this list encompasses three areas of my life. The physical, sexual, religion, and human relationships. 
I want to I want to just lock in on a couple of them. Obviously, idolatry is anything that you put above God. Sexual immorality, well, that's a that's a long list. Sex outside of marriage, adultery, but also includes pornography. I mean, you could go on and on with that list. But I, I want to I lock in on sorcery and witchcraft because most of you would probably read that and say, hey, I, that, there's no way, I don't do anything like that. Well, let's look at that word for a second. You know, the Greek word is uh, pharmakeia, which is where we get the word pharmacy. And, um, and actually, originally, the, the word meant for medicines in general. But eventually, it began to deal with mood and mind-altering drugs that were used in occult and witchcraft and magic. Because the pagan religions of that time, they, their practices required the use of these mind and mood-altering drugs to aid in their communication with the deities that they were worshiping. So when you see this sorcery and witchcraft, it's talking about mind and mood-altering drugs. Marijuana. Cocaine. Heroin. Opiates. Now, let me say a little side note. I'm not talking about any medication that you're using under the care of a physician. I'm not talking about that. Doesn't apply to this. But when you are self-medicating with any mood or mind-altering drugs, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, opiates, bottom line is this. You are practicing witchcraft and sorcery. That's how serious God takes that. Think about that. Witchcraft and sorcery. That's what you're doing. So give that a long thought. If you think what you're doing with recreational drugs is innocent, it is not in God's eyes. And God's eyes are the only eyes that matter. Verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. And uh, the one we're dealing with today is gentleness. The next to the last one. Gentleness marks a person who is submissive to God's word, who is considerate of others. God's given you that kind of spirit through his Holy Spirit. A, a meekness, a humbleness, a gentle attitude. You know, I, I want to close today by sharing a video with you. Uh, my friend who gave me this shirt, they started coming to Gateway when their daughter was uh, in uh, high school. And then she went off to college. 
And then she eventually found her way uh, in New York. And eventually she wound up at a church that you, Gateway, actually started. Gateway, right after 9-11, Gateway and two other churches planted a church just a couple of blocks away from uh, the World Trade Center site. And we had that church up and running about six months after 9-11. And so that church has moved since then and changed its name since then, but it's still there. And Margaret made her way to that church. So she tells her story. This is a, a video of her testimony that she gave at the church recently and, and her baptism. So I want you uh, to hear her story, and then I'll come back and close this up. I was fortunate to have grown up in a strong Christian home. I definitely had a strong foundation, but things started to take a turn once I got to high school. I became more interested in drinking, boys, and status than going to youth group. I rebelled hard to the point that my parents were quite worried about me. I was so excited when I got to college and I could finally be independent and away from what I thought at the time were my overbearing parents. At school, I adopted a work hard, play hard lifestyle and was thriving, but God was not a part of my life at all. It wasn't until my senior year when a toxic long distance relationship ended that I began to turn back to my faith. After an extremely tumultuous year together, he broke up with me on graduation day and I spiraled into a deep depression. A month later, I moved to New York with no apartment and a mediocre job that I'd only accepted because I wanted to make sure I was in the city when he started his job. That first year in New York was one of the hardest of my life. I was in so much pain still and felt so alone. My mom suggested I find a church to get plugged into, so I found one that met in a hotel near my apartment in Midtown, and the Lord began to heal my broken heart bit by bit. I finally started feeling some relief. I went to that church for about a year before I found myself at LMCC towards the end of 2017. Even though I was reconnecting with my faith, I still had totally messed up priorities. My faith was what I fell back on when I needed help and didn't know where to turn, but I still thought I could fulfill myself and be in control of my own life. The pressure to perform, to achieve, to have fun, to be pretty, to have people like me began mounting day by day, eventually leading to me having a panic attack in the subway one day after work. I had never had one before and it felt like I was going to die. It took me about a day to come down from it. I told Marcy about it and she helped me get into therapy. My anxiety didn't go away overnight and in fact it's still something I'm working on today, but this was exactly the experience that God wanted to use as an entry point into deeper relationship with me. I experienced special intimacy with him during this period of struggle. We actively partnered together in my healing and therapy and he started opening up my heart and showing me my sin, bringing things to the surface that I didn't want to look at. I started feeling a lot of guilt and shame about my past, and one night in my room, I poured out all my pain and my regret to God and asked for His forgiveness. We know that He separates us from our sin as far as the East is from the West when we ask for forgiveness, but I still didn't feel forgiven. I was holding on to it, and I wasn't forgiving myself. That Sunday at church, I went to the back and got prayer from Logan. I said I just wanted to hear God's voice. I wanted to feel His love for me. I don't remember what Logan said, but I remember going back to sit down on my seat and just closing my eyes and waiting, and the Holy Spirit showed up. I heard him say, or rather yell at me, you are loved, you are forgiven. A wave of peace came over me that I can't describe. 
After that moment, things really started to shift for me. I began actively seeking to surrender things I'd so tightly been grasping onto, and the Holy Spirit entered my life in a powerful way. During 2019, I experienced deep joy and peace, even in difficult times. I had some health scares, I had some disappointments in my career, but he was with me through it all. Praise God that his plans don't rely on my faithfulness, his joy doesn't hinge on my good behavior, and his glory doesn't depend on my performance. Thank you. I have the privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be buried with Christ in his death and raised in newness of life. Wow. Margaret found out what to tell us die really meant. It is finished. It is complete. Jesus is enough. Have you made that decision? Have you gotten to the place like Margaret did and stopped trying to save yourself? Isn't it time that you stop trying and you accept what Jesus has already done for you? And maybe if you um, are already a believer, you're finding that the, the sinful side of you is winning a lot more than the spirit side of you. Maybe it's um, time to address that, to really discover what it is that you're not letting go of. Because Jesus has said, I've, I've set you free already. You've just chosen to give up that freedom. I've set you free, so stay in that freedom. Stay free. And we're gonna pray in just a moment, and I'll be at the front. If you are ready to truly accept what Jesus has completely done for you, I would love to pray with you. Or if you're at that place that um, you're tired of, tired of fighting the battle and you want to get back in that freedom, I'd love to pray with you. In fact, next Sunday, we're going to be having a baptism and uh, maybe, maybe you, you've already accepted Christ, but you've never been baptized. You don't do it for salvation but you do it as the public confession of your salvation. You can take the cards that are in the back of your seat and just fill it out and just write on there, I'd, I'd like to be baptized and place in the offering basket when they come around or in, in the box that's out in the foyer. We would love to talk to you about that. Whatever decision you're battling with, whatever it is you need to let go of, you need to stop doing or you need to start doing, we're here for you.